So does your career energize you with life or does it drain you? Recent Gallup polls show that a whopping 70% of us feel disengaged in the workplace. There's just gotta be a better way. Welcome to our authentic careers where it is my job to uncover the ideas and strategies that can help you become better aligned with your career. I'm your host, Gert Sabar, and I interview people like you and me about the twists and turns in their career paths so that we can all achieve greater clarity, meaning, and fulfillment in ours. Here's what's so great about this week's guest. He gives us a front row seat to a concept that most of us, I think, have an easier time grasping in our minds than we do actually living in our everyday lives. And that is the concept of joy. Admittedly, through no fault of his own, Jim Lin is a joy seeker by nature. And when you combine that with his uncanny ability to both accept whatever life throws his way and to keep the faith that his future will work out just the way it's meant to, Jim's approach becomes a very meaningful model for what a true joy-seeking career path can and should look like. Which might also explain why, when anyone at Ketchum asks me how Jim is doing, my response, having hired him on my team a few years back, is always the same. If ever there was the perfect person, in the perfect job, in the perfect career, Jim Lin would be it. And our conversation will, I guarantee you, make that eminently clear. So without further ado, I present you Jim Lin. All right, Jim, cool. Well, firstly, uh, firstly, thank you, uh, thank you for agreeing to do this and to share your career journey. <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. First question, uh, do you ever think about the concept of purpose or mission or what is it that I'm doing here on this planet? Uh, I Truthfully, I very seldomly do. I'm one of those people that just kind of meanders along and whatever happens, happens, make the best of it. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's start with this. What, sure. what do you do? Can you describe what it is you do today? I am a digital strategist. And what that means in today's context, I guess, um, is my job is to leverage digital and social platforms, uh, content, engagement strategies, and influencers to help um, my clients be part of the conversation or be the conversation um, with the assumption that the conversation right now is the most important uh, means for uh, a brand's reputation or awareness to be built. Yep. And so given that job, are you today in your career where you thought you would be when you were younger? I think in general, I think when I was younger, I knew I wanted to do marketing. I mean, since day one, I'm just a natural born marketer, uh, just in the way I'm wired. I love persuading people to do things. Yep. I love uh, persuading people of my point of view. I love sharing my point of view. I love uh, more than anything, sharing my enthusiasm for stuff with people. Um, if you know me in my personal life or for anyone who knows me in my personal life, when I like something, I sell it to you. Um, no matter what. Um, and so naturally, since I was young, I've been a marketer at heart. And, um, you know, from the day I knew that people had to have jobs to make money to survive, I knew that my job would have to be marketing. There was nothing else I could do um, 
specifically was advertising when I was younger because I think marketing is more of a complex thing. But making commercials, I remember in high school, I told myself when I grow up, I want to make commercials. And this I don't think is a, a too far departure from making commercials. Yeah. And you said since day one, when would you say was day one? When was the first moment that you became aware that this idea of what it is you're doing now was something that that was interesting to you? Uh, I think in elementary school. Um, <clears throat> and the one activity that really solidified that was whenever there was a, a school event um, or something taking place that needed to be promoted, uh, I would be the one to start drawing the posters, kind of getting getting the chatter going about it and getting people excited about it. That was the thing I always loved to do in high school. I volunteered to do T-shirts for all the events. I volunteered to do um, marketing posters for all my events. Um, I used to be on the uh, the cycling team in high school, and uh, I think everyone's favorite thing was the posters advertising the races. Uh-huh. I would draw cartoons of mass mayhem on bicycles, and... Um, People love that, and I got a kick out of people loving it. Any any ideas where that love of you know the publicity or the cartoons or the drawings or the marketing advertising? Where did that come from? I think it's a personality thing, right? They are just people you meet who are um, you know who have different personalities and tend to do different things. I'm like like I said, I'm the guy that if I like something. I want to share that with everyone. I want to get everyone as excited as I am about it. And um, on a personal level, that's what it is. I mean, I think it translates nice to marketing. But even if marketing didn't exist, I'd still be the guy running around telling everybody about my hobbies and how awesome my hobbies are and how they should try it. Yeah. And Jim, let me ask you, uh, can I ask you, what did your um, parents do? Uh, Very unmarketing things. Well, actually, no, I'll take that back. So my dad... He worked for the government of Taiwan, and uh, back in the 70s when Taiwan still had official diplomatic relation, he was a diplomat um, from Taiwan for the U.S. Um, And I guess, like, if I think about the big picture, what you're doing as a diplomat is you are trying to build relations, um, share knowledge, et cetera, between, you know, your home country and the country you're assigned to. It's, It's you are a bridge. Um, and that requires a lot of uh, finesse, charisma, et cetera, and smarts. And so in a way, that's kind of a marketing, marketee type of job. Um, my mom has been in the education field forever. You know what? The more I think about it, there are marketing elements <laughs> to both of their jobs. Right. So, you know, as an educator, you are teaching. You are passing something on. Uh, if you don't have enthusiasm or passion for it, it shows. So, yes, I, uh, my parents both did things that in, in their own way – uh, had very central elements that that are important in marketing. The for the first one is is the passion and teaching. I think a lot of marketing is teaching. Good marketing teaches something. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know, my dad was more of the execution side of marketing. How do you uh, convince the other side of an idea or of a point of view? Um, diplomacy, right? That's that's the pinnacle of persuasion is this diplomacy. Um. You know, when I when I was a uh, uh, younger, um. I was never encouraged to go into marketing, right? Um, and, and actually, to be fair, I I think marketing as a concept isn't as big in East Asian culture. Yep. Right now, nowadays it is with China being the the capitalist behemoth that it is. Um, but I think traditionally and culturally, marketing isn't something that's that prominent or even valued. I would argue 
in traditional East Asian society. And I grew up in a Chinese household yep. here, but you know, culturally, um, I was very influenced, or my parents were very influenced by kind of the, the old world way of thinking back east. And marketing is not something that's that's you know very prominent. I mean, I was encouraged to be, you know, the typical things: uh, doctor, <laughs> scientist, uh, maybe lawyer, even. But marketer never came into the conversation, and that's not because they actively shunned it. I think it's it's just not part of the equation. Familiar. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so when you're being encouraged to, you know, pursue doctor, scientist, whatever, what what is your internal dialogue? What's what's happening in your head, and how do you not veer to that path? I I was never actively against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that really just goes to my life philosophy. It's just like, yeah, sure. If it, if it, if it, if it makes itself, uh, if it, if it appears in front of me and I think it's cool and I, and I like what it is and I, and I like where it's going, I'll do it. So it's, I, it was never a, a conscious dialogue as in, I don't want to be a doctor. There were many times in my life I considered it when I was younger. It's not like I didn't want to be a teacher or I didn't want to be a scientist. Those were all viable options. And I never consciously steered my way toward them or away from them. Um, it's just I just grew up doing what I liked, and that found its way to a career that kind of fit that. Where did this approach to life of just kind of taking whatever comes at you without much um, – is it correct to say it's a bit of a joy factor, right? You're going – whatever's presenting to you, you're, you're assessing it for joy, and then you're proceeding forward. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good way to look at it. How much, jo- how much joy is in this path that I'm on right now? Uh, is it worth the pain of trying to change that path? Or not the pain, but the toil yep. of trying to change that path? Or is this joy something that I'm satisfied in right now? Yeah. Uh, is, can I see a road? I mean, it doesn't have to be a very defined road, but can I see a road down this path where I can create more joy out of it? Is this joy-seeking aspect of you? Is that a is that a uh, is that a Jim Lin nature, or is that or is there any nurture in that? No, it's a Jim Lin nature. Um, the funny thing is, um, my mom, uh, in later stages of her life, has really, really gravitated in a big way toward that, in yeah. a big way toward um, that whole take life as it comes and makes make the best of it. Um, but that really came later in life, so it wasn't something that. Um, influenced me was something that we just kind of found on our own and, and now we've kind of converged in that philosophy. Yeah. Um, my mom has told me in recent years that's ver- a very Taoist philosophy. Yep. I never knew it as Taoist or whateverist. I just knew that as that's just what I do but um, my mom has explained to me since that it's a very Taoist philosophy and I think their philosophy is life is a river you meander down it yeah. and wherever it takes you it takes you and you make the best of it so you know I guess retroactively, you could say it's a Taoist view of life, <laughs> but right. uh, that that was never a conscious decision on my part. It's it's really that that joy seeking. Am I am I am I deriving joy from this right now? And do I think I can continue to derive joy from it? Yes, keep going. No, change courses. It's a very flow charty kind of thing. For those of us that aren't as familiar with uh, what joy really is, what is joy really to you? How do you if if you were to express that in some way? Right. Joy is something that isn't fleeting. Yep. Right. Joy. I look at joy as a as almost like a bank account in you somewhere, in your heart, in your mind. And you collect pieces of joy and you accumulate them throughout your life. Yeah. Right. So joy is a much more intrinsic, holistic thing than what's immediately in front of you. 
Um, and I think that ties really to satisfaction, right? If you, if you say you're satisfied, it's a lot harder to pinpoint the cause and effect of it. Satisfaction, contentment, all those things are uh, a product of all these things around you and the interplay within you of those things. It's not like I did this, so now I have two units of joy. I have this, I have one unit of contentment, right? So it's, it's a cumulative thing and, and, you know, it's like a video game where you're collecting these kind of joy, joy powerlets or something like that. Right. You just kind of go along and you collect them and, and they increase. And as, as long as you're on a positive slope, you're doing okay. And if you are, so something comes at you, um, this idea of being a, a, a doctor, mm-hmm. how, how do you assess that through the joy filter? What, what's actually happening? Right. Well, you kind of, you kind of, you kind of close your eyes and, and envision yourself in a best case scenario. Uh-huh. Right. Best case scenario, I, I cure cancer. Mega joy. Regular case scenario, long hours, lots and lots of responsibility, <laughs> right? A lot at stake, lots and lots of schooling. Um, another side of it, you make some good money. And then you kind of add those up and say, is this a positive joy cor- curve, negative or neutral? Uh-huh. To me, the doctor thing was always kind of a neutral joy cor- curve. Yeah, there's potential for a lot of joy. But that road getting there is not going to give me too much joy in, in the meantime. Um, so, yes, there's a huge hockey stick at the end of it if you cure cancer. But if you don't, you're just kind of plodding along, um, you know, semi-joyed. <laughs> yeah, right, semi-joyed. I love it. So that's actually a pretty well, I mean, in, uh, in a snapshot, you gave us a really good analysis of how you approach joy. Is that, is that a pretty conscious process in your head? When you're no, kind of, when you're no. Kind of, like, I, I just broke it down now yeah. for you. I, I've never really stopped. Pretty thought, inherent. Yeah, kind of like me. I don't, I don't stop and think about anything, which, which is good and bad. <laughs> right. So, um, so you're growing up, you pinpoint pretty early that marketing is your, is your thing. Yeah. Um, how does that impact your high school, time in high school? How does that impact your decision-making process um, towards college? Um, definitely impacted it. So in high school, um, I would seek anything that would allow me to uh, really get people enthused about things. So I was um, class president of, of my class freshman, sophomore, junior year, and then I ran for school president and got it. And I thought that position or those positions were the perfect opportunity to really share passion for things, convince people, persuade people, whether it were students, administration, staff, that was the ultimate position uh, that would make me happy uh, or give me joy uh, for that day-to-day being at school. It gives me that extra mission uh, on a day-to-day level of what can I do today? Um, You know, what can I do today to make people happy, to make people excited about stuff, whether that's planning events uh, you know, changing rules at school, um, whatever it is, um, you know, a big part of that is convincing others to see your point of view. And as long as I'm convincing others to see my point of view, I got the joy factor going. Yeah. What's the key to persuasion? The key to persuasion is to get in the other person's shoes, look at the world or whatever you're looking at from their point of view and going, Okay, I'm sitting here. What do I, what would I need to change my mind? Yep. Right? It's a very realistic way of looking at it. And this is why I love social media. If you don't do this in social media, you're lost. Yep. Right? 
if you use social media to broadcast um, your message without ever acknowledging the other side's point of view or stepping into their shoes or seeing the world like they see it, all you're doing is shouting at them and it's bouncing off a wall. Um, social media is definitely the thing that fits what I do most because it is, it is a one-to-many conversation where you're stepping into their shoes, looking at the world from their point of view and thinking, what do I need to do to change that point of view? Yep. Let's uh, step backwards for a second again, if you don't mind. So mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're in high school. How, what does become the decision process for college? Um, well, the, uh, my parents, uh, you know, one of the reasons they moved to Boston was they wanted me to go to Harvard ever since I was born. Yep. Um, as, as with a lot of parents <laughs> right. from that part of the world. So uh, no fault of their own. Um, Though great, that, great persuasion and planning on their part. <laughs> right. <laughs> now we see where this all comes from. The, the most Harvard gear I ever owned was probably between the ages of like three and 12. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and this was one of those things where, uh, again, it was a jo- there, there was an a, a internal joy crisis uh, decision uh, at, uh, when I was applying to college, come to think of it, because... I knew uh, that that getting into Harvard would be that that curing cancer thing, at least from at a high school level, right? Yeah. The best case scenario, like, you know, who doesn't want to go? Um, but I also had a little conflict with the joy factor. There were other schools that I had gotten into that I felt had had much more immediate joy factor for me. Yeah, that was a struggle. That was the first time that really, really came into play. And at the end of the day. Um, and my parents were extremely supportive of this the whole way. So definitely credit to them for just not kind of pulling the parent card and going, no, you got in, you're going. Right. Um, and they let me come to that decision upon my own. And at the end of the day, it was, it was definitely at that time I assessed the whole thing and I said, yes, um, you know, the immediate joy in front of me for going somewhere else might be bigger, but I've got this much greater, hockey stick potential by choosing Harvard and it's not like the joy won't be there. So that, uh, that's what, what, you know, affected my decision there. Um, and what, and what oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was gonna I say, and what did you, uh, what did you, uh, what were you going to study? What did you end up studying? So I knew I wanted to get into advertising slash marketing. Um, by the time I was in college, uh, the thing with a liberal arts education is they don't have a quote-unquote marketing major or a quote-unquote advertising major, right? Liberal arts is all about literature, history, things that don't immediately apply to a job per se. So what I had to do in college was really create and find my own classes, find a major that I thought was most applicable applicable to the skills and mindset I would need to succeed in marketing. And so I remember the day I did this, they make you pick your 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 major at the end of uh, freshman year. I really didn't know what I wanted to major in. So I remember doing this. I literally took the course book because we didn't have the internet yet. I took the course book and I just thumbed through every page of it. And that course book is thick, like a dictionary thick. Um, I would thumb through the pages and I'd fold, I'd dog ear the pages where there were classes that I felt would be applicable to marketing. And then counted up the folds and the two majors that ended up uh, with the most classes that were applicable in my mind were sociology and psychology. Yep. So I took both of those, not knowing exactly which one I'd focus on, but after a few classes in both, 
um, I decided that psychology would probably be the most useful course uh, uh, major for me um, with the most applicability um, to advertising and marketing when I got out of school so that I could take that kind of liberal arts education and apply it in a more practical way in my career. Yeah. And uh, my first job out of college was at an advertising firm. Um, so very, a very methodical approach. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> in some ways, yeah. Sure. I'm a strategist. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, right, so you take a marketing job coming out of college. And, uh, yeah, it's, I, I haven't looked back. I mean, uh, everything I've ever done had to do with marketing, whether it was advertising, marketing, um, sales, um, planning. Uh, everything I've done uh, basically has been marketing uh, in nature. Yep. Um, the, the technology thing and interactive thing I kind of stumbled onto, uh, luckily fairly early on. Yep. Um, but again, all of it had marketing as a base. It just, I just changed the context through which I was doing it. Thinking about the jobs that you had uh, after college up until now, what's, what's been kind of the driver of change from one job to the next? Wow, that's a great question. <sighs> I would never say it's boredom. Um, I'd like to say it's opportunity, but I'm trying to think of all my transitions and they've all been kind of random. Mm -hmm. And, uh, again, that fits into that theme of just flowing down the river. Yeah. And when that, when that, uh, split in the river comes, you just kind of take one direction over the other there. It's never been anything conscious. Um, you know, a couple of them were, were, uh, results of, of the dot-com bust. Yep. So, you know, I had no choice but to switch directions, but in all jobs where there wasn't some external factor driving it, um, I think it was a matter of a crossroads, me seeing more joy in one path, yep. uh, me assessing the, the, the toil or the impact of, of switching, and deciding that uh, that uh, that joy curve uh, was more positive by switching. Yeah, and Jim, if you're um, when you have this kind of this approach to life, this river joy approach, um, what how how do you think about long term planning? Huh? If at all? Yeah, I. You know, it's scary to say I do very little long term planning. Mm -hmm. I kind I kind of just have faith in the future, and that's the way I've always looked at life. Yeah. Um, I just have faith in the future. Somehow this river is going to take me where I need to go. Um, I've always been the whatever. and I mean, I've always been the uh, everything happens for a reason yep. type of person. Um, that helps you get through a lot of hardship. Um, I am not the person uh, that a lot of my friends come out of college were, which is the I'm going to do the grind at some management consulting firm you know, for three years, jump back into the grind of the MBA program, come back as a higher level consultant, right? And, and, and make a bazillion dollars. A lot of my friends did that. That did not appeal to me at all. That felt to me like a waste of those three years. Like I, I believe in there that there's a way to invest your time, uh, and still have joy. And there was no way I was having that. I would, I, would, I would never want to suffer for three years for something greater because during that suffering, your joy curve is negative. And then you just got to climb out of it. Right, right. 
I'm going to press you for a second on this. Is there are there any visions of things in the future that you are wanting or that you're hoping will happen or is it truly just whatever happens happens it is it is it gets less whatever happens happens yep the the, the more responsibility you have yeah i.e kids mortgages car payments <laughs> right. right right i'm definitely not a whatever happens happens in an executional kind of way right um security has definitely come into play a lot more which is why um, you know, I did a lot of startup. I worked for a lot of startups in my younger years before I had a lot of responsibilities and a lot of people depending on me. Yeah. Um, security now is a, a huge factor. Yep. Um, you know, <clears throat> big part of my decision to come to work for Ketchum versus a startup I was considering joining at the time was the security factor. Um, Ketchum ain't going nowhere. <laughs> right. Um, at least in my lifetime, right? So um, that's a big factor. But again, I saw a lot of potential, right? I saw a lot of potential, um, you know, during the interview process of, of, hey, this is a place where I can grow and continue to build that joy curve. Yep, build a path. Um, and I see a lot of potential in the industry. Um, so because Ketchum is such a big player in the industry, I knew that, hey, if the industry is going to change and move towards this thing that I really love to do, social, conversation, engagement, et cetera. Right. Being at a company that's so key in this industry is going to allow me to, to develop within that, to not just develop within that, but help shape that. I mean, that's really what I want to do. Like, I want to take that, you know, class president model and move it into a, an, into a bigger sphere of life. And I want to be the guy that uh, helps shape whatever I'm doing. So, you know, if I'm in the PR industry now or doing social media, I want to help shape that. Yep. That's where I get the biggest satisfaction because, again, my life is all about how many people can I convince or influence with my point of view, the more the merrier. That's right. And I always joke that I want to be the ruler of a small country. I don't know how much of a joke that is. I think given the <laughs> chance, I would do it. <laughs> right. Uh, it'd be a fun country. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, I'm going to press you on one more, one more place here. The uh, You mentioned – security and safety um or security rather mm. uh, versus joy what how how do you balance those well without security your joy curve dies right right it doesn't matter how happy you are if you can't pay the bills uh and, and you don't know where where your your how your kids are gonna go to school or college or even get their next meal then that joy curve dies so you need that security to to keep the joy curve going it's 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 just a necessary component um, and at different times of your life, that that comes into play uh, more or less. And right now, it's on the it's on definitely on the more side. So I'm going to ask this question from just one more angle, which is on a scale of of zero to ten, where uh, where zero is a total non-issue and ten is a big dark gloomy shadow. How large a shadow would you say financial considerations have had over your career path to date? I'd say. With the exception of the last, let's say, decade or so, mm -hmm. um, I'll just give you an evolution. Most of my life, it's been a three. Yep. Right? It's been a three. Joy curve and potential um, for more joy curve has, has been the number one deciding factor. In the last decade, I think that's creeped up to a seven. Yep. 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 And that, that, that's, that's reflective of, of what we were talking about. Yep. Yep. Because, you know, in, in my younger days, 
that that potential for working for a startup was, hey, it's really fun working for a startup. I get a lot of influence over a lot of things, so that day-to-day joy curve is high. The security curve is really low, but look, the potential for that hockey stick, if this thing takes off, is huge. So you got the immediate joy, you've got the hockey stick potential, and all you're sacrificing is security with the startup. Right. And so when security wasn't that big a factor, I was all over the startups. Nowadays, not so attractive because the security factor is so low, um, those other things don't outweigh it. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. Um, Jim, are there any career decisions you've made along the way that looking back today you would choose to undo or somehow redo? Good question. I think I've thought about this before. Um, I think I came up with one. I think the answer is 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 no, actually. Yep. Um, and the reason is this. I've had some crappy jobs in the past, but... Every single job I've had since day one out of college, I can, I can literally pick out elements of that that I contributed to what I'm doing now. Today, yep. Yeah, and there were some things that, looking back, maybe it wasn't worth it for that tidbit, but I don't regret doing it. Maybe I wouldn't do it again, but I don't see that as it wasn't worth it. It was worth it, but if I had to do it again, there's probably other ways I could have done it, but I don't think that's a regret, Yep. right? That's yep. just looking at an alternative. Like, yeah, I could have done it that way, but I don't at all regret anything I've done in my career. Um, yeah, nothing. No, that's that's great. Um, and when you say you've had some really crappy jobs, what, mm-hmm. what what has made for really crappy jobs? Let's see. It's been a bunch of things. Extreme lack of security, mm-hmm. right? That's one of them. Um, working with people... This is the number one, actually. Working with people I don't like. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, working with people you don't like just saps the life out of you and kills the joy curve. Um, not even not like, not respect. Yeah. Not respect. That's, that's horrible. Um, the inability to really do what I could do, right? Being, being handcuffed. Yourself. Right. Not even expressing myself in a work environment. Like, there's a lot I could do at a lot of jobs I've had, but because they didn't believe in doing so or they didn't believe in that path or they didn't feel that it was appropriate at the moment to do something in such manner. I was kind of stifled. Yep. Um, you know, I shine best when you just kind of go, all right, Jim, do your thing. Yep. Um, and so conversely, the best jobs I've had were the ones where people said, okay, Jim, do your thing. Yep, yep. Uh, thinking back... Thinking back on your career to date, and from the perspective of your friends, family, colleagues throughout the years, what kind of counsel or advice, or um, I don't know if you you know if if you were offering services, what kind of things have people come up to you for, sought from you? Is there is there a thread in in, in those? I think so. I think I think. Most of the advice I've given to, let's say, younger relatives, uh, younger friends, uh, has always been about the the one thing they've always noticed about me is, Jim, you really enjoy what you do. Yep. Right. And I think, sadly, that's something that that not enough people um, do. Uh, and so when when someone meets another person who you can tell really enjoys their work, they want to know how you. Pr- how you pursued that and how you accomplished that. And, um, you know, um, one of the realistic things is, you know, don't expect too much financial gain at the beginning. Yep. Um, 
you know, it, it's it's you've got to be willing to to sacrifice financial gain um, to do what you most enjoy doing because um, you need to get good at it. And to do good at it, you often have to start at the bottom, and, and that's really that's you know the most advice that's that that people seek from me is you know how do you find a career that you're happy in because no one's ever asked me, hey. How do you make so much money, Jim? <laughs> right. <laughs> no one ever. It's <laughs> uh, <that's> amazing. <laughs> um, is there uh, is there a piece of advice that you've gotten from others along the way? Uh, any piece, a particular piece of advice that has stuck with you? Ah, uh, that's a tough question because I sound really, really cocky when I say no. But I can't <laughs> but think it's okay. of something right now. Yeah, like people tell me advice all the time, and I don't think one piece of advice has ever stuck in my head. I, advice is just like that kind of joy curve; you just accumulate it over time, right? And it morphs within you based on your context. Like, I really, I really take advice in in snackable bits. Yeah, right. Like, I, I'm always, always gathering feedback from my environment, whether that's what people are telling me, whether that's what my experience is bumping me up against. I don't think one piece of advice has ever been so earth shattering to me that I've kind of framed it, um, you know, in my head or, or elsewhere and kind of guided myself with it. It's everyone's given me advice uh, in my life. Everyone has given me all levels of advice, good advice, bad advice, yep. not so great advice, and I've just kind of mishmashed it into just the way I operate. And it's every piece has helped me um, yep. along the way. Jim, a um, couple more quick questions and then we'll wrap up. Um, one is thinking about your side hobbies, your side projects, mm-hmm. um, uh, mixed martial arts, fishing, um, how how would you assess kind of the balance of those with what you do in your day job? Is there any part of you that's ever saying, "Gosh, I wanna"? It would have been awesome if I was an you know MMA pro or mm-hmm. pro fisherman or. Yeah, that's a good question. No, um, I often joke that uh, the only thing I'll ever leave catch him for is if Bass Pro Shops calls up and says we want you to do our social media. Right. <laughs> Um, but really that's the only career thing I've ever thought of that has to do with a personal passion of mine. Right. Um, I would love to, if again, uh, I would love to in the future, um, if I ever like found a reason to retire, to just start some sort of company that, that is fishing related, whether it's, whether it's manufacturing, fishing equipment, fishing gear, fishing lures, a guide service. Um, but I'd only be happy doing that if the security was a zero, right? right? If the fact, if the importance of security was a zero. So if I ever struck it rich, won the lottery, tomorrow, tomorrow I'd be starting a fishing company. Yep. Right? Yep. That is what I want to do in life. But again, doing that in real life, the security of doing something like that is so low. Right. Right? It's a, it's a, there's a lot of competition in that industry. And so I'd only do it if it was a passion project. Otherwise, I wouldn't because I want to enjoy my work. And if there was any elements of security that wasn't there doing fishing, I don't want to hate fishing. I'm going to come to the security question one more time from a different angle. What do you make of um, – there are people out there who say fishing is my thing. Mm-hmm. Come, come hell or high water, I will figure out a way to make this work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a different mindset. What? What? Why – 
why do you, why not that? Why don't I do that or why not that in general? Yeah, why not that in general? Or you? Um, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing if you can be creative with how you want to incorporate that hobby. So, yeah. for example, if fishing is your thing, uh, you know, I think the, the natural thing people gravitate to, toward is I want to be a professional tournament fisherman. Yep. Right? But if that's not really that realistic, right? Yep. That's like saying, I, I want to be a famous Hollywood actor. It happens, but it's not likely. So my advice or point of view on that is if you truly love fishing, there are lots of things you can do, right, that touches fishing. For example, in the retail world, you could do marketing for a fishing company. You could do social media for Bass Pro Shops. You could um, start a guide company. Um, you could start a, a fishing YouTube channel. Like you could do a whole bunch of things. You, you, you can work at a sporting goods store in, in the fishing section. Um, I mean, if you think creatively, I mean, even in my life now at Ketchum, we just pitched, you know, a, a client that has a lot to do with fishing. We recently won a client that has a lot to do with fishing. I've, I raised my hand and said, I want to be a part of these yep. teams. There's me pursuing my personal passion within the context of, a viable job. Yep. Yep. Right. And and I think the key to finding your happiness within your hobby is to be creative about how you want to or can weave your personal passions into it. I mean, Ketchum's a great example of of weaving a personal passion in, like uh, you know, my my blogging. Right. That's been a personal passion of mine since 2007. A big reason why I'm at Ketchum and a big thing I do within Ketchum is work in that world, work with bloggers. Um, influencers, etc. Um, you know, all my experience I've gained, all my contacts, all my friends in that world, all that comes into play every single day of my work. Um, so I am exposed to that part of, of my personal passion on a daily basis at my regular job. Fantastic. Um, last question for you. Knowing what you know today, how would you advise your younger self? Mm, man. I would advise my younger self to basically look at every opportunity, not as a pathway, but as a building block to what I eventually would want to do. So by that, I'm saying, let's say I, my younger self was faced with a, a sales job selling widgets that had nothing to do with um, uh, social media or, or marketing or anything like that, just a, a stupid widget. Yep. Um, I would tell myself, do the skills you acquire doing this job, whether it's uh, cleverly marketing, persuading, having conversation, engaging with your customer, reaching an audience, etc. Do those skills help you uh, for, for the eventual career that you want in any way? Yep. If those skills will apply, then go for it. Because it adds some variety. Honestly, I've done some jobs that have nothing to do with what I do now. Right, but maybe they were more sales based. Uh, maybe they were more operations based. But in every single one, there are particular skills that I picked up, insights, knowledge, etc., that definitely contribute to what I'm doing now. Right? I, I don't look at careers as fields. I look at careers as dynamics. If that makes sense. Yep. So a person who's of a marketing mind or dynamic can fit into a lot of jobs. A That's lot right. of jobs 
um, require that kind of marketing dynamic. Someone who's very technically minded, has a very engineering mind, does not have to go into science or engineering. You can have a very engineering mind and, and work for a marketing company with research, for example, right? So it's more like find your career dynamic, not your career field. Because if you, if you match your career dynamic, there's a lot more stuff out there that will satisfy you because you'll be, you'll be acting and doing the things you like to do the way you like to do them. Um, I think you can be miserable in a field of your choice. I could be miserable working for a fishing company. I know there are certain jobs that would do at a fishing company that would make me miserable even though I'm in the fishing world every day. Right. Right. You have to find the dynamic that satisfies you. And once you do, a whole world opens up to you because you're looking at the dynamic and not the field. Yep. Love it. Perfectly stated. Jim Lynn, thank cool. you very much. That was a fantastic thank interview. Thank you, this was, this was a fun chat. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Our Authentic Careers with me, your host, Gerd Sabar. If you like what you just heard, I hope you'll let your family, friends, and colleagues know all about this little podcast. And since it's early days here at the OAC, your rating and especially your review of the show on iTunes would also be hugely helpful and very much appreciated. If you think you or someone you know would be a great guest, please, 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 please don't hesitate to reach out at ourauthenticcareers.com. 